Welcome, welcome if it's your first time. This is For Fuck's Sake, a theater podcast, aka 4FS podcast. This is episode 14, ladies and gentlemen. Lucky number 14. We are in October. We're here. I'm queer. We should get used to it. I'm so happy to have Rona Siddiqui, everyone, is here, ladies and gentlemen. She is incredible as a human being, let alone as a fucking artist. She's our October guest co-host. Let's, let's, let's hear a bit a little bit about Rona, shall we? So Rona is a composer lyricist here in the New York City. She has won several many awards. She is the recipient of the Jonathan Larson Grant, the Billy Burke Ziegfeld Award. Uh, she most recently is the recipient of the recipient of the ASCAP Foundation Harold Admanson Lyric Award the Mary Rogers Lorenz Hart Award, and the ASCAP Foundation Max Dreyfus Scholarship. Word. She has worked everywhere. Most recently, she was the musical director and part of the Obie Award-winning creative team for A Strange Loop, written by Michael R. Jackson at Playwrights Horizons, who also won the Pulitzer Surprise. Pulitzer? Pulitzer. Tomato, tomato. She also was the musical director for Bella and American Tall Tale, and she's currently working on her show, Salam Medina, Tales of a Hafghan, an autobiographical comedy about growing up by ethnic in America. It's already had a reading at Playwrights Horizons that was directed by Raja Feather Kelly, and she has done a ton of things. However, if you want to really hear about all that, go back to episode 13, okay? Because we are an episode in. So, Rona is here. I'm so thrilled. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Rona Siddiqui. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, she's here on this rainy fall day. I love rainy days. I am so into it. Are you? Oh, good. That makes me happy. I've got my hoodie back. I like my cozy hoodie. I can't take it off. It's super cozy. I just want to like eat brioche and just drink coffee and not work. But, you know. Add a little layer of flash. It feels so good. Yeah, just do it up. Do it up. I, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I, we're, we're making this, making this happen. Um, so, how, how are you today? Otherwise, I feel good today. I feel, I feel really good because I'm, I get to write a lot today. So that makes me happy. Oh, nice. Your skin looks amazing, by the way. You guys can see it on camera. I think it's well. Of course, it's my ring light, but. Um, I also think it might be a, a vitamin C serum that I'm using. Nice. I yeah. need to get into that. I'm moisturizing yeah. with um, Lumen. Who cares? All right, here we are. <laughs> it's okay though. I mean, we're allowed to. We're allowed to have our skin look nice. For Christ's sake, everyone. Um, yeah. No. And, and it's so interesting. I just was on a on a Zoom podcast, which I haven't been interviewed in a long time. So I just want to tell you, I have so much empathy for this moment. It's like when I got back on the mic for the drama audio series. I'm glad I did that because it had to give me, reminded me how hard it is to act. So 
kudos to you and all the guests who have been on this show. My God, it really definitely is a thing. And it is really intense to hear someone say your bio to you. I was yes. like, what? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, please, please make it, make it be over now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Rona's bio is fucking incredible. And that's just what I'm sure she's like, I'm just going to give you some of it. Uh, so the, uh, thing is, the thing is like, we don't like, I don't like to define myself by those things. No, you know? no, 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 no. But, I, mean, I, know that, I, know, I know. But we have to, but you know, but it's one of those things. It's like work is work. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? And, and right. it's funny. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like y- you, I, I relate to you because actually when, before I started my theater company five years ago, I remember looking up and I was working on my kind of like basic director, you know, resume. And I'm like, wait, when, when did I, when did I yeah. do over 30 shows? When did, yeah, how did that when happen? Did, like, when did that happen? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like what, what, what the fuck? And that was what I just put down. Cause there was some stuff I was like, meh, like not that it was bad, but I'm like, well, I was, I don't yeah, know. things have to fall off, you yeah, know? Things, yeah. You know, and it's, it's an interesting thing, right? Being an artist, because the, you can study all you want, but the only way you fucking real find out is in real time. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and here we are and you're, you're just doing, you're such an inspiration to me because you've been kicking ass and taking names, but it's been through the hard work, mm-hmm. you know, the hard work of really pushing through and everyone really, please go back to episode 13. If, if you haven't like, listen to this one, put on the Bluetooth, get some coffee. I was just talking to Chris Blasting, who was interviewing me for a podcast. Chris was telling me he listens to this in the gym. So wherever you are, please like listen to it, but go back to 13 because what what it was been such a lovely thing to, to have with you is Rona comes from such a place of gratitude. And I don't think I've actually laughed as much as I have than the episode I did with you, which was really great. Thank you for that. So it's interesting to see someone like you who really comes from the core of your Muppet heart. You love comedy <laughs> and all this hard work has really paid off, you know? Yeah. You know, people just, when they, when they discover you, they think that's just like, you just fell on the map at that time. Yes. And don't understand that it's actually been a lifetime of, <laughs> you know, of figuring, figuring your shit out in order to, to reach this moment. Well, yeah. And it's also that thing. Exactly right. And it's also that thing where, you know, I think once you start to really find your authentic voice is when people start to notice you. Yeah. Because then you, you, you get away from the little, like you said, we all kind of think, oh, is this what it means? Like, am I supposed to be like that? Like, is this this the thing? I guess I'm trying to prove something. Right. And then you said this to me last week. You're like, you just started giving zero fucks. And that's when I started, Mm -hmm. started doing my best work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know we'll we'll continue to explore that. But you know, so everyone, it is it is a it is an interesting time in history. Mm-hmm. We're three weeks out from the election. There's no way we can't not talk about it. And uh, I couldn't be happier to have Rona here because she likes to laugh, and I think it's going to be important. Um, as we speak today, there is a certain person who is currently going through the vetting process for the Supreme Court, which brings up a lot of feelings, right? So one of the things I will just say right off the bat for me that is already one of the trigger words is, you know, she's already saying things like sexual preference, which is to imply that sexuality is chosen, mm-hmm. which is immediately <sighs> problematic on 97 trillion levels. And then, you know, Rona, as a, as, as a woman, as an artist, as, a, as, a, as an artist of color, like, what are some of the things that have been on your mind as this possible transition happens? Um, it's like even more offensive when 
it's your own kind that's doing the damage. Like Mm. when Clarence Thomas got in there, it was so disgusting. Uh, You know, it just like the anger level was so high and continues to be high because he continues to be a horrible, 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 horrible person. Um, And so, and now again, somebody who understands the plight of what it is to be a woman and then sitting there ready to just set you back and dismantle, you know, the, the, the rights and freedoms that you have is, um, it's, it's, it's really disheartening. Well, and also riding on the shoulders of everything that RGB did for her to even be there. Right. Like, look at all, look at all this incredible stuff that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did in her lifetime, which, you know, for people in the arts, I think oftentimes we don't feel guilty if you don't know the history of someone, you know, take this time now to learn about it. But the actionable things that RGB did for women's rights and equality is astounding, you know, and one of the reasons why this particular person is, I'm like, I'm treating it like 45. I'm like, I don't even want to say the name. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's like Voldemort. And um, that this person even has the opportunity to be where they are is because of her. But yet what she's representing, f- from what I can tell thus far, and I don't think I'm wrong, is someone who literally wants to exactly turn the clock back on so many things that have moved forward. There's so much more to move forward in terms of the, the rights for women yeah. who are the majority of the world. Yeah. There's I just, more. I you keep having I mean? this fantasy that, that like she's really a Trojan horse and she's going to get there and be like, surprise, you know, oh. and, but that's not good. We know there's, there's like, no, that's not. I like that fantasy. I know. It's just my little fantasy. Well, yeah, you know, it's, well, yeah, and I have to say, I don't think that you're incorrect because like when this fucker got elected and every, and you know, I, it was, it was a horrible night, right? It felt like, it felt like 9-11 actually. Like, and I, I, I don't, I don't say that with, you know, I was here for that. And I say that with all the gravity of that comparison, but there was a brief part of me that, you know, wants to live in empathy and hope that I thought maybe he'll just be a fucking idiot. Maybe we'll just have a moron and it'll be like a real bumbly four years. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not a monster. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just dumb. That's cruel to hope that. But, you know, there we go. Like, you know, I think all of our fears, the spidey senses that went off about everyone was it was all correct it was all correct you know and then there was the hope that well maybe maybe the republican the republic the republicans in congress might reel him in or they might be the voices and then they just all like bent over backwards and um yeah just so tragic and and the darker part of that is beyond him it's just incredible to me that at the surface level like it was just this skim of tension like like when an when a drink is filled too high right and you got to like bend down and like sip the water. Mm-hmm. Just this surface tension of just waiting to be pushed over the edge of someone finally being in the seat of power to allow all this dark shit to come to fruition via policy. Yeah. I think that's the bigger thing we've got to figure out as we move forward is these people didn't all of a sudden have a turn of heart and go, actually, you know what? They've been hoping for that. And then basically, you know, like John Mulaney said it best. He's like, there's a horse that's loose in the hospital. Yeah, and no yeah. one knows what the horse is going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And then when the horse is quiet, it's almost more terrifying. Right. So that's the bigger question that obviously we can't solve right now, but that I I think we need to start unpacking as a culture, as Americans, is why, why, why? Yeah. I I wonder, like, why did we know that the pendulum was going to switch? Like, how do we have that sense? Like, how do we feel that we know the pendulum is going to be swinging in this opposite direction? And then, and then like, we yet remain powerless to stop it. I think we got complacent during the Obama years. Yeah. Well, because I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried when he got elected because it was it was one of the it was a visceral moment and I'm sure many of you will identify where I actually felt like, oh my god, it worked. Like, yeah. look, like we 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 all came together and it worked. Like, listen, look at we we made a change. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that the that administration was perfect, but. Even merely what it represented to have him go into office, I was so overwhelmed with feeling like democracy works. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that maybe, this is just a hypothesis, hypothesis, um, I think maybe we felt, oh, we did it! And in a way, we got complacent because everything seemed okay. Like, for for, for me, as, as, as a queer man and a gay man, I was like, Oh my God, look at, look at all the progress we made under this administration. Look at, like, look at all the things that are happening. Like, look at these things, like, oh my God, someone's taking care of us on a certain level, which isn't to say there weren't terrible things that happened too, but like, but ultimately there was a lot of good shit, right? Yeah. And, And I think that in a way, I think we just thought, oh, well, I mean, it worked that time. Right. It'll work again. You know, but, but, but the truth is, isn't it incredible with everything that we know about the racism of Americans, right? That the one thing I think we underestimated was the misogyny of Americans, which is why we are here today. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest thing I thought when when Hillary Clinton did not get elected. Yeah, we hate women so much that we would rather have this tool. We'd rather have this tool piece of shit. That is precisely what I thought. And the disappointment I felt as an American in that moment, it was just so, I was like, why, why do we hate women so much? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is the problem? And why do other, and I'm saying this, like, obviously not knowing as I'm saying this as a man with a grain of salt, why do other women hate them, hate, hate women so much, at least in this sphere. Right. Right. Like I, I, now let me give a little backstory. So like, I don't just sound like a complete fucking crazy person, but I was raised by a single mom. I have, you know, very close with my grandma. Um, I was taught by all female teachers, frankly, until I moved to New York in terms of my arts education for the most part. And then I have a bunch of little sisters and all little female cousins. And so I've been surrounded by women my whole life. And so I didn't realize until much later in my 30s, I would always do all these stories and they were i was always more fascinated with with female characters mm-hmm. and then i i identified it in my 30s and i'm like oh i'm like well you know i love my grandma and i was raised by a single mom and i've been surrounded by literally little women my whole life and then my aunts and then my cousins and then my teachers and like the people who really like shaped me when i in my formative years so that fascination with 
with their stories, even though I don't know what that lived experience is, obviously, was very high. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? That I was sense. always way more fascinated with female characters. To this day, I still am, to be honest with you. I'm always yeah. like, what is, what is she doing? You know, I'm, I'm much more fascinated. And, you know, as, as gay men, because we don't um, objectify women sexually, we have a freedom to also be able to sort of like create a fantasy of what we think they are. So there's that appreciation that we have, which is interesting because I've talked about this a lot too. It's funny, right? The fantasy of women is actually created by gay men in terms of like the aesthetical, the aesthetic fantasy. Then it's objectified by heterosexual men Mm -hmm. and they sort of twist it around. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, but you know, when gay men glorify women as this, this fantasy in their brain, it's, it's interesting because then it sort of, it's still this double standard where ultimately, whether we, this may be not popular to say, but it's still men kind of dictating what we think women are, you know, this even when it comes from gay men. And, and I, I don't know if the best intentions, but the place from gay men, not all gay men, there's plenty of misogynistic gay men don't get that shit twisted, but from like a gay man as an artist, even through that admiration, you're still sort of putting your opinion on an experience that you can never understand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like exactly. We, you, you'll never know. You'll just never know. Which is why getting to all this pro-life, pro-choice shit is I'm like, it is none of your fucking business. Which means ultimately, like, by utter default, you have to be pro-choice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that has you, you. It is, I will never understand how a bunch of fucking men will tell a woman what the fuck to do with her body. It is astounding, which actually leads to, God, we're just really, hi, everyone. (laughs) I hope you're eating a Danish. Let's talk about this shit for fuck's sake, man. I mean, that's what literally, I mean, I didn't just say that for the sake of the, I didn't say that for the sake of the fucking show buzz, but I, but I think that leads us into an interesting bit of politics happening in Afghanistan. Yes. Yes. And uh, Rona brought this to my attention, which I'm very, very happy you did. She brought to my attention an article in the New York Times, which we'll go more into, but her correlating the similarities between the Taliban and the religious right here in America, which I've, I'm just going to say it, I just feel like they're domestic terrorists, and how behind closed doors, these conversations aren't very different. Shall we unpack that? what you brought to my attention and where yeah. you see those similarities because I immediately responded to that because I was like, I 100% hear and see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So basically right now what's happening is the Afghan government is, they're trying to, they're trying to figure out who is in charge, mm-hmm. how much power the Taliban is going to have, how, how to get the United States to withdraw, which I mean, everybody does want that. Um, I, th- I think what what uh, why this became uh, a moment in our news cycle is because the Taliban said that they support Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want Trump to remain president. He's been good. They're like, we recognize he's maybe crazy for the rest of the world, but for us, he's great. And mm. so that was what triggered me to think, oh, they're they're literally the same as as the religious right. They're about yeah. control extremists. extremists um, controlling women, <laughs> you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty much, it's the same thing. And so it's, it's, what do we do? Well, and I, I definitely identify because <sighs> we've talked about this on the show 
often, you know, and I would like to preface it with this. What's happening here in terms of the way that uh, religion has been weaponized, which it has been weaponized throughout history. We, you know, no, no surprise there. That's the whole essence of war, right? right? For the most part. But the way we've weaponized this figure of Jesus, let's just look at it as a figure, right? Yeah. Is, is unconscionable, you know? And, 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 and not to get into like the thematics of religious theory, but what people are doing in the name of Christianity in our current society is it is the extremism of it is beyond. I mean, all the people holding the guns saying they wanted to get their hair dyed and their nails done, all those white people having automatic weapons, those were all Christians. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And like, these people who are becoming single-issue voters, it's all in the name of, I'm a Christian. That is extremism. You know, that, and, and you know, uh, Morgan Siobhan Green said that. She says she finds it so interesting that the people she finds who have the most traits of what people think Christianity is are not Christians. You know? Right. And I think... Warped identity has become the, the, how they define themselves, which has nothing to do with the original. Which has nothing to do with whatever that is. And it doesn't even matter what you believe in, right? Yeah. I'm no. just saying it has nothing to do with it. And in that sense, there is that, you know, it the, the mirror of both of those extreme religious groups. I mean, it, it's a reflection. I mean, there to me, it's it's completely the same. And that's pretty controversial to say, but there's nothing more dismantling to the current structure of equality and social movement and justice than people who are fucking doing things in the name of Christianity. But let us also point out that these very same people are behind, like what I said in my email, behind closed doors. They are not, they're, they're not living by the same, uh, you know, tenets that they're spewing out there. They're no. they're asking their mistress, mistresses to have abortions. <laughs> you, know, they're, you know, they're they're yeah, they're living their lives with the freedoms that they want to take away. They're fucking you know male sex workers. Like, mm -hmm. don't get it twisted. You know, and that's another thing too. Like, you, you people were like, uh, AOC was publicly advocating for for sex workers because they should be publicly advocated for. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there, it is ridiculous to think that there shouldn't be some level of protection there. Of course. You, you can't like demonize people for doing something everyone fucking does. Right. You know, and it's like one of those things where we've got to get over that shit. This like whole, like what the, what the fucking year is this? Are we, are, are we, are we, what, what are we, is this like, what is that shit under in an, um, under his eye? You know, like we're moving closer and closer to that. And what I think people aren't realizing is that what people who, you know, I guess maybe Democrats on a certain level, but what a lot of liberals are going for, it's basically about like acknowledging that people are humans and they deserve decency and protection. They deserve health care and they deserve to be respected as a fucking human being. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. And the whole preface of me going into that about sex workers is because everyone knows one of the biggest times for male sex workers is the Republican National Convention when it was live. <laughs> like, but just to give you an idea of like the hypocrisy of these people, there's actually a really interesting 
documentary. I don't know where it's on some streaming service. I think it's called shit figure anyway it's it's about literally that it's a it's a documentary that pulls out receipts about all these people who try to put in policies to work against the lgbtqia community have all been caught having gay sex yeah in very torrid ways right which you know why why is this image thing the saving face thing so has such a stranglehold on us that we can't just say, this is all bullshit. This isn't honest to myself, to my fellow humans. This is based on falsehoods. Why can't we get to a place where we can say there it's not wrong to have, you know, it is not wrong to have gay sex. It is not wrong to, you know, like, why can't we just say these things? acknowledge them and then go from there we are, we'll never get anywhere until we're acknowledging these these truths well i think it's a, it's the individualism right individualism is really 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 fucking everything up you know because we have no sense of of actually no i don't want to say that as a blanket statement because it's one of the reasons i love new york is i think in new york because and i've said this forever we're we, we're not in cars for the most part most of us aren't in cars right mm-hmm. and so we are forced to be the ants all marching together. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of think about people, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know, we're not in a box. We're not hiding. We literally get ready for the day and we march in the direction of our goals every day. Right. And so because of that, you, we are a little more civically and community minded more than most places. You know, it's like yes. putting on the mask to me, I was just talking to Chris about this, isn't even so much about me, even though obviously we all want to stay healthy, I don't know if you're going back to your grandma or your immune compromised person in your life. I don't know what your situation is. And I don't want to, I use this as an allegory, be like a viral drunk driver. Exactly. Exactly. And even if I know, Aaron, that I don't have it, I'm going to, and I might have it hanging off one ear if nobody is walking around me or toward me. The second I see somebody approaching me, I put it on because I want them to feel comfortable and safe. Just a stranger walking down the street. I want them to feel And I don't know your story and I don't want to contribute to it because the truth is, as a city, we all really rise and fall together. Like that's mm-hmm. the one thing where, you know, New York really comes together and living here through 9-11, watching the whole city come together, grieve together, and then rebuild together is when I really was convinced. And I'm like, man, I live here. I love this place. Yeah. Like, you know, we really come together as a community. And I think that's where New York City is a microcosm, which, which actually leads to the fact that that's why we're being demonized by 45, being like, oh, the out of control, godless hellhole that is nyc these democrat run states yeah what the fuck is that you know like, you want to see humanity right now you get to, down to the subway and you see people caring for each other right now you see it hello you see it i actually you know that really makes me think of a story remember the big ass blackout that happened that went from were you in california or were you in the city it was shortly after 9 11 i was in california okay but then did it hit California? Do you remember the big blackout that happened on the East Coast and it rode all the way down to Texas? It was like the huge blackout. It was shortly after 9-11, maybe a year after. We had our own mishap with blackouts in Enron, but that was a different story. But go oh, ahead. Shit. Oh, right. So we had the big <laughs> blackout, but it was it was post 9-11 enough that we still, everyone was very much on edge in the city. Yeah. And I was underground 
and the subway slammed to a halt. And I, I, we were like, what's happening? Long story short, we were underground in the blackout. We found out through a two-way radio that a kid had on him that him and I started talking. And I was telling people, and then, the, of course, the conductor, that it's a blackout. And they literally said, it's not terrorist-related. And all of us kind of like, okay, mm. this isn't an attack. Yeah. Because when the blackout happened and we slammed underground and they're like, there's no and the electricity in the city. Oh my god! I had that moment where I'm like, wow, is this it? Like, yeah. is, it, is it happening? Like, yeah. is this the story? And the, the point of the story is we were, they said there were two things we could have while we waited to be evacuated. We could have um, AC or light because the third rail was still working. Ah. So we can't have both. And it was mm-hmm. a sweltering hot summer day. Mm-hmm. And we, everyone said light, right? Mm-hmm. We're like light. Wow. So it's we're we're a tuna can of oh humidity. I'm already. I'm starting to have yeah. like a- <laughs> three three and a half hours underground, and everyone. It was unbelievable how everyone started taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. Everyone let the older people sit who weren't sitting. People just started sharing water. Yeah, and we were like, well. I mean, I make out with strangers anyway when I'm on a date. So it's like, what the fuck? No, like seriously, everyone yeah. started sharing their water. Everyone was making sure that the older people were okay. Yeah. Some people were even like, here, just take my water. I haven't opened this up. And we all just took care of each other. Mm-hmm. And then we all evacuated. I'll never forget walking through the tunnel on the east side and like looking wow. back and being like, I'll never see this again. Yeah. And, you know, helping people up the stairs and the MTA workers were great. And then we all got in the sun. And then the city, rather than going into looting and violence, just kind of turned into a big block party. We just tried to make the best of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone's mm-hmm. like, let's just all, let's have some drinks and let's just work through this. Like what are yeah. we going to fucking do? And I, and I, that's the thing here where that, that civically minded thought of like, well, well, let's just do it. Right. Oh, you, you know, know, also Hurricane Sandy. Was it Sandy? Yes. When, when power got, you know, and then flooding happened below 14th and people yeah. were above 14th were just like, need to charge your phone? Come on over. Need to take a yeah. shower? Come on over. Need a place to yeah. rest? I have a couch. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's where us as New Yorkers, for anyone that's listening that's not in this, in this, in New York City, which I, I hope there are. Actually, there are. I, I see it on the demographics. I think that's why it's especially hard for us to comprehend what the fuck is going on. Yeah. You know, and there's definitely, listen, there's Republicans here. There's bigots in New York. Mm-hmm. Like, but I dare say they're kind of like New York bigots. <laughs> <laughs> they're our bigots, damn they're it. They're our bigots. But you know what I mean? Like, even a bigot in New York, you kind of, you kind of sort of can't really be that fully achieved version of it because like, you really just can't. Like, there's, we're too diverse. Like, there's too much yeah. going on. Like, you, yeah. there's just too much. Um, happening here <laughs> you know which is i think why going back around to sort of like what's what we've been aware of happening in our own industry is sort of hitting us hard because like we're all waking up to it right yeah. but that's that's not what this is about but let, let's let's dig deeper into what you were saying in terms of you had mentioned to me about unpacking the dismantling of ego I, you know, I'm sorry I come at you with these. Like, like last week, I'm like, we have to talk about self-love. No, and then I'm like, let's talk, talk about the ego. I, I, have, this is the show. You okay. are on the right show. Like, please, okay. like, that's okay. the whole point. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Legally Blonde another day, you know? <laughs> I fucking love that show. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, but I, I yeah. mean, I, I think. I think but as artists, this, this is the, just. To, I'm sorry, I don't mean no, to cut no, you off. Go, go, go. Preface it. I do think this is a valid thing to discuss because for people who are within the arts, and I, I, I venture to say, I think a lot of people listening to this are in the arts. Ego is such a nuanced and complicated subject for us. Yeah. Because one, you have to have the audacity of belief in yourself to do this bullshit thing, right? Actually, it's not a bullshit thing. You have to have the audacity of enough ego that you believe in your taste level, that you believe that you are worthy of work, right? I don't know that that's ego, but yes. But yes, right. you have to have belief in, belief in yourself. Right. So that, but that's what I mean about the nuance of it, right? Because yeah. some might consider self-confidence ego, right? And mm-hmm. then yet, yet, at the same time, like you said, and I love this because it's exactly how I feel, ultimately, you got to be of service to the work. So I think that this discussion of the dismantling of ego as it plays into our political structure, as it plays into, you know, the extremists of religious thoughts and identification, I think it's a valid thing to discuss. Yeah. So I'm going to try it and see if what comes out makes any sense. <laughs> For okay. it, please. So like, you know how you talk to yourself. You're talking to yeah. yourself. So who's talking and who's listening, right? Mm. So the listener, I think, is like the true, the true self. And the talker is perhaps the, the ego self or like the top layer self. So if, if, if those two voices aren't being honest with each other, then that's where the top voice, the ego voice is just like going to, is just winning. And that's where the lie, you know, you can start lying to, are you lying to yourself? That's, that's ego. You're lying to yourself. You're not coming mm. from yourself. And so if that's the, the, the voice that you're constantly listening to, then that's going to lead you in all sorts of wrong directions, in my opinion. And I just said wrong when I didn't, I don't want to talk about right and wrong. Okay. I'm going to pause for a second because I need to. No, please. That is a, that, that's such a fucking great, succinct analogy that who's talking and who's listening. Right. And Uh, am I, was I clear in hearing you say that the, the, the voice that's listening is your true self? Yeah. Because it's almost like the talking is when you believe your own hype. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So this is where I was going is that this idea that. You have to get to a place where it's okay to admit that you have lied to yourself or that you're wrong. Yes. That is very, very, very hard. Yes. And you've told yourself something for so long that you've pressed that, that listening voice down so hard for so long and beaten it down. And now you have to suddenly say, oops, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. How do we allow for that? And if we can't do it within ourselves, how can we do it for other, with other people? How can we create a space where, where everybody can admit to themselves and to each other that they may have been wrong, been harmful, been hurtful, did something detrimental to self or other? Is that? Yes. And you know, the thing that, uh, that went to the forefront of my mind is the most difficult thing in the world for human beings, even though it's all we want, it is so hard for us to accept love. Yeah. It's very hard for us. And that's really what that shit is, isn't it? It's that maybe what people are afraid of, like the people who have come to a bigoted place, the people who have allowed 
the systemic oppressive racism of our country to overrule them, right? Mm-hmm. The people who have chosen to take a stance that they might not even believe is actually they believe. Maybe the fear is if they actually listened. Maybe there's something that's being like, I actually think you just love people. But like, mm-hmm. we can't have that, can we? Because to love people is to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Yes. And to love people is to, is to get hurt. It's just, it's, there's no, the, it is the weirdest equation about the whole situation with the whole love thing. Yeah. Whether it is friendship, whether it is, is romance, family, work, to allow yourself to love is uh, like what Matthew Lopez, the whole audience grunted when he, when this quote happened. He, and I'm going to butcher your quote, Matthew, if you're listening. If you're listening, hi, welcome. In The Inheritance, he says, you know, to, to, to fall in love is to, to set up an appointment for heartbreak. Mm. Something like that. And, it, yeah. it, and it, I wish I said it better, but it is true because the second you love, it is. You're setting up a, a, a calendar date for heartache. Yep. It's just going to happen. There's yeah. just no way around it. Because yeah. here's the thing. It can even be love that's always given back to you and that person could leave or die or something, right? Yeah. And I think maybe if we really get to the root of it, and this maybe I'm being super esoteric about it, but maybe that's what it really is. Maybe people are so afraid of being vulnerable that they stand on something that I don't even know if they believe it. You know, it's why like yeah. I think when we see these people saying this crazy shit, I'm like, do you really believe this? Now, here's the thing. Some people are just fucking rotten to the core. Sure. Period. It is what it is. You know, and speaking of Jesus, you know, in the Bible, it talks about that shit. It's like, yo, if you show up and you try, you know, several times and no one's having it, then fucking walk away. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you did it. You tried. What are you going to do? And even like Jesus talks about dumb people. Right. Like some people are fools. Well, you know, so separate separate yourself from that shit. Right. But I think think now to bring it full circle, I, I wonder if that's what it is. I think people don't even know that they are living in, and it's an existence of dissonance inside of them because you're just so used to it. You know, like if you actually figured out how to self-love and how to open up and be vulnerable, like why? Yes, yes, you're going to experience heartbreak, but it will have been worth it because (laughs) you will have lived with an open heart and the love that you, the cycle of love that you give and receive is, is the ultimate in the human experience. Well, and it's the it's the whole point. It's what yeah. all the songs are about. It's what all the shows are about. It's what all the poetry is about. It's all about finding it, losing it, getting it, keeping it. And the democratic catchphrase right now is, you know, trying to be beacons of light, mm-hmm. the darkness against the light. Yeah, because we really are in like this fucking like wizarding world of Harry Potter shit right now. We are heading into a dark age. It's like another like a dark age. Like, you know, the dark ages. It's like where where it's just just absolutely no empathy. Yeah. You know, sympathy is cheap. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Like that's it's cheap. You know what I'm saying? It's super, super cheap. And and the and, and for what it's worth. 
there's very little sympathy, even with what's happening right now. Yeah. You know, very little sympathy. Because you're, you're so right about what you like. It's just easier to put up the walls and, and, and close yourself off. It feels like safer somehow. Yes. I'll, I'll speak from my lived experience as a, as a gay man to go back and to like reattack the gay community and be like, we're taking away your right to basically, because let's be real, marriage, very complicated, right? And mm-hmm. like, if we really break it down, marriage, the way we know it now in terms of the paperwork, initially often had very little to do with love and its origins. Yeah. It was right. about right. contract. I mean, it was about survival, it was a mm-hmm. contract. I think people learned to love each other. I think that, you know, whatever. But you know, it was it was um it was a way to continue forward the genealogy, right? Right. And you know, it was about assets, dowries, and blah, blah, blah. Now, as people with free will, you we we would prefer to love someone. But I think there's people who even get married now who just know they're a good team. Yeah. Do you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. And also, like, in terms of romantic love, and I'm really making a sharp left here, what the fuck is that even? You yeah. know what I mean? I think that we have this notion of what we think that is. Mm-hmm. And, and like, wh- who even knows what the fuck that is? Yeah. But in terms of all gay people are asking for, and I, I can say this in terms of, like, I just want to know that I'm looked at as a fucking human being mm-hmm. if I do decide to be like you. Oh, and you want to be with me too? And we want to split some taxes and get some property. And then if one of us gets sick, we want to mm-hmm. be able to have some rights to each other's lives. Yeah. I just need you to acknowledge on paper that both of us are fucking humans. That's it. That's all it is. That's, all that's it really is. all it is. Because you're not going to take away my love for someone. You're not going to take away my commitment to somebody. That's that that is that's personal. That has nothing right. to do with paperwork. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that they're that they would go back to a community and be like, you are not a valid human. Yeah. Your, the validity of your life is a moot point because you are against my fundamental Christian beliefs. Yeah. And again, that is a signal to the extremists that it is okay to perpetrate violence against these people. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, that has severe consequences. I have to tell you, I was at the White House the day that the ruling in 2015 on gay marriage came down. Oh, my God. It was maybe one of the best days of my life. Oh, my God. What's the backstory on that? What, how did you I, that? at that time, was the music director for the uh, NYC Youth Pride Chorus, and we had been invited to sing. So I took a handful of them down to D.C., and... Uh, you know, I mean, I'll just never forget. They treated us so warmly and kindly. And, you know, we're in this green room with like the, so many historic musicians had been there. And then yeah. standing in this little vestibule as people were entering to go to this cocktail hour. And so we performed for, I don't know, like an hour. And then our like handler was like, um, so I know you, maybe you all want to get back on the road or whatever. But um, do you want to meet the president? Are you fucking... And we were all just like, oh, we're like, you know, trying to play cool. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have some, I think we have a little time, you know, sure. So we got to meet, um, we met Obama, we met Biden. He was there too. Oh, wow. Um, we took pictures with them and then they invited us to stay for the cocktail hour and we ate fancy schmancy food and yeah. then the ruling came down and it was like a party. And I just, I'll never, ever, ever forget the joy of that day. Really, that's, truly one of the best days of my life. That's amazing. I. Ugh. 
I yes. And you know what? I think that's the perfect high note for us to take our little breather. I think we could use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, everything I is just so serious. Um, <laughs> but it's true. Life is serious. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, okay. So if you've never done this before, friends, I do actually mix this podcast so it sounds good without headphones. But if you're listening to it, enjoying that, um, put on your headphones is my suggestion. We're going to take a little recalibration where you can just breathe for a little moment and um, recalibrate and we'll, we'll come right back and keep this conversation going. So uh, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Aaron, your host and producer of the show. So there's a lot happening right now in the world. And rather than take a moment to have a commercial, I thought it would be nice for us to take a moment and recalibrate. How does that sound? Excellent. Okay, so get comfortable, and we're going to take a deep breath in, and a deep breath out. Deep breath in, and just let it out. All right. Now close your eyes, and breathe. Normally, Perfect. I hope you feel a little better now. And just remember, you are perfect. And you are loved. Okay. Let's get back to the show.
And we're back. All right, we got to breathe, uh, take a little moment, maybe grab a snack. Uh, Rona and I have made a a vegan carbonara. Mm, mm, so good. Sounds really good, actually. Mm. Uh, cashew, cashew is cashew cream is. By the way, if anyone's trying to, it doesn't even matter if you're vegan. Cashew cream will change your life. You'll um, be like, yo. And it's so easy to make. Are you, are you vegan? Yes, I am. Oh, you are. Yeah. Oh my god, I am too. Oh my gosh, how did we not know this? Yeah. It's, um. There, oh, we, I have. We, we have to talk recipes after this. We have to talk. Yeah. But there we, is a walnut bolognese that I'm. I'm going to try. Like maybe tonight. I'm very excited. about Interesting. It. Mm. I, La Botanist. La Botanist. La Botanist. It's um a dope little spot here on the Upper East Side, and I, I'm trying to support them. But they they make a really good bolognese that's walnut based as mm. well. Mm. Super mm. super delish. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk. Okay. Um, great. So everyone's like, oh, fucking vegans. Um, okay. <laughs> So we're back. We're vegans. We're liberals. We're in the arts. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want um, from us? Okay. So moving back into talking about the dismantling of ego. Um, <laughs> um, why not? Uh, so Rona had also sent me these notes, and I, I would love to continue this conversation. Um, so she had said in, 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 in relation to dismantling the ego, She's interested in allowing for a space where people can admit mistakes, admit mistakes, everyone, and can reframe issues away from right versus wrong and more toward beneficial versus detrimental. Mm, mm, mm. So I, I really I wrote like those things in an email. You, you <laughs> I did. You gave me permission to say that. Yes. Um, just to be clear. Yes, Everyone's yes, like, yes. Yeah. Uh, someone's like, she's my friend. Um, so <laughs> now, sometimes uh, I feel like I, not sometimes, most of the time, I feel like I am, I can be more profound on the page than I can with words coming out of my mouth. So this is really fun for me to try and expand on things that normally I can just write them down and they make sense. You know? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, of course, that's a part of the arts, right? It's yeah. just like, you know, the, one of the reasons I love writers is because they make everything so much more eloquent. Yeah. Eloquent? Uh, eloquent. Elephant? Eloquent elephant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the eloquent elephant. Oh, there's a song. Um, <laughs> the eloquent elephant. I could already see him already. He wears a little bow tie. His, oh, I pictured him with an ascot. Oh, yeah. really? I was thinking of a cravat, actually. Yeah, cravat, yeah, cravat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe, maybe a monocle. Uh, yeah. Just because. Um, I still have an eye twitch in my left eye from when I played a Drosselmeyer in my youth, and I wore a monocle instead of an eye patch, and I had to like... <gasps> Anyway, so, okay. Right. It's like that fucking 30 Rock episode where Jenna's like, you mean this eye? She's like, that's when my sister peed in it. And like, anyway, uh, oh man, so <laughs> Jane Krakowski. Um, so Alec Baldwin could read a phone book and I would tune in. Oh my gosh. What is it about him? Why is he so fucking funny? Because oh, he's so, so smart. That's why. Yes. Yes. And just that. He's so lived in his body. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, less about that. Now I'm thinking about what a stud he was in his in his youth. Uh, anyway, all right. So um, we're back. So let's talk about that. Let's talk. I'm very interested in the in that part of it where what a great idea about allowing agency to people. That's the right word to admit their mistakes, not in the not in the gaze of right and wrong, because right and wrong does feel like a moral implication, right? Yeah. 
which I guess we could unpack what morals are in another episode, maybe, because sure. that's another fun thing to do on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and allowing people just to think more about like beneficial things. In, and I, I assume you're meaning beneficial in the context of beneficial to the general you and the world around you mm-hmm. as opposed and unbeneficial. Yeah. This is about loving kindness. This is about forgiveness. So if we apply both loving kindness and forgiveness to ourselves and others, I think that allows for us to start admitting, admitting things, you know, I mean, like, and I think this whole, this whole moment of, of Black Lives Matter has been, maybe people are starting to scratch the surface of realizing, oh, I am racist. And I'm going to say that out loud. Yep. And I, I can say it and I'm not going to be stoned to death or, and actually I can feel good things happening and not bad things happening by myself admitting this thing. Well, you know, it's, it, there's that trope of why, you know, a lot of people who end up in 12-step programs, the first thing you have to do is admit, hi, I, mm-hmm. I'm blah, 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 and I'm blah, blah, blah. Right. And I think for some people, to be clear, when we say racist, it doesn't mean that you're like the, the a MAGA person, but I think a lot of Americans had to realize that there, there was a racism inside of them, mm-hmm. which is part of the American story. And to admit that part of it is the beginning of healing. And beyond healing, education. Yeah. So it is the first step in healing. Right. And I feel like when you start to, you know, I'm, I'm making it now, I'm going to like a, a more personal place with it because, That's like, a, yeah, when I, you know, I may have had issues with my upbringing in terms of like my, my strict father, you know, coming from the Afghan culture and me not understanding mm-hmm. it and where it was coming from and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was fighting so hard in my 20s for him to understand me and, um, you know, kind of like own how he had harmed me in my youth. Mm. And I was like writing him letters and I was just trying to make him hear me and I was shouting and um, and he couldn't he couldn't grasp it. And Mm. so at the end of the day, I just had to um, I chose to just forgive him. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't have to hear him say, I'm sorry, or, you know, anything. It was just, I decided to forgive him. And that was the, the um, beginning of my path toward healing and peace with, uh, with him and uh, understanding him. And yeah. that he actually, like, he did the best that he could. Yes. He, he, loves, he loves me very much. Yes. And has always yes, supported yes. me. So it's just like, it was just a love language. Um, yes. And I'm, now I'm getting emotional. And I'm sorry for that. Hey, no, it's a please, um, please, please. But that's one example of what can happen if you uh, stop framing things as right and wrong. Yes. And, and to, to 100%. And thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you being so 
candid and personal about that. I identify because I had a similar situation with my mom, with my sexuality, uh, and I'll say specifically like Mexican-American, you know, Catholic culture. We're very, we could have this weird emotional string of pearls on all the time. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a brown person thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. and so like, the, you know, we don't really talk about stuff. Right. Same. We don't talk about things. And so, you know, I'm fucking 41 years old and my mom, we don't really talk about it. And so for the longest time, to be honest with you, we were very detente, to say the least. But I identify 100%. Something happened. All of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. Yeah. It's okay. Like, you exactly. You did the best you could do. I know you love me. And all this shit that's making you unable to communicate, it's actually not me. Because it, for the longest time, I will be real. It is detrimental because I felt like something was wrong with me. Yeah, you know what I mean? right. And the release of that has made everything better, you know? And just, don't get me wrong. Does it still chat my ass every now and then? Fine. Yeah, yeah. But I had to just say, I'm just, it just has to stop. Right. I don't, I cannot be angry at you anymore. Right. Because you're whole, you're, when you're holding on to anger for that long, you're hurting yourself. We know that. Yes. And it's not, and also like our parents are from a, our parents were raised by people from the depression. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they are products. There's no fucking therapy. There's no like, we don't know. No, we don't bring shit up. Like, no. you know, the, the truth of the matter is too, it's also like a, a, a generation of, of, of non-white people who were raised on the standard of sort of waspy American culture, you know, where like everything's perfect and everything's leave it to beaver. So in a way of like the survival of assimilation, which has its issues, right? Mm -hmm. I think that the example outside of us culturally was the American example of like, everything's fine. Right. And so that's how they were raised. Exactly. Exactly. For them to be alive during this in, intense change that's happening within our lifetime that will continue to happen within our lifetime, God willing, knock on wood, is probably really a lot for them to wrap their heads around. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying this from a place of understanding now. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually not speaking for your father, but I'm saying I feel like I I, I definitely really identify with what you said. In that sense, couldn't have the parent I wanted. Didn't mean that I couldn't be a good son. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or whatever that means, which isn't to say, you know, I'm, not even, I'm still not even the best on I'm very Carrie Bradshaw. Like, mm-hmm. I love my family, but I'm super independent. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I have, I've had kind of had to be. Right. But I love them so much. Right. And, and so I think the examples here is that there, there is something, like you said, going and bringing it full circle to detach from right and wrong. Yeah. Because right and wrong leads us to where we are right now with the extremists yeah. on all sides of continents. <laughs> right. And then we end up here. Here we are, right and wrong, where the audacity that a Black human has to say their life matters is fucking incomprehensible. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Why is this a conversation? We know why it's a conversation. That's it's 400 years of a conversation, but like here we are. I don't even know where to go with that. Okay, everyone, good night. (laughs) I know, I know. But I think, but I think what we're trying to get to is your notion of figuring out how we can start to look at 
what is of service and what is not of service. Right, exactly. So to you as a spirit, mm-hmm. because then that is of service to the community. Right. Going back to masks, it isn't about you. Drunk driving, it took a long time for everyone to finally realize that it was really bad. Yeah. And it wasn't so bad because you're a dick. You're probably going to kill someone's brother right, or mom. You know, like, that's the big thing that we've all learned with drunk. Like, I, you know, I've never, I've actually, I'm totally a New Yorker. I've never had a license. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, even from California, I just yeah. never have. I'm like, yeah. very that. I just, I just I don't know how to drive. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like a drunk driving thing. Everyone knows that everyone's like, the person that gets injured is the person you hit. It's rarely the asshole who mm-hmm. got behind the wheel. Yeah. And as a society, we've all seen it in car culture where someone's like, you're not driving. You know, people steal people's keys away. You know, like people, like it's something we've all agreed upon as a culture. Right. You know, it's like when people finally had to wear seatbelts. That was a whole adjustment too. Oh, yeah. I have to wear a fucking seatbelt? Right. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me? And so like we're, we're slowly breaking into that. But, you know, the right and wrong leads us to these extremisms, which turns into... I, I I don't I mean I I can't help but just think terrorism. It's true. It's which true. is to terrorize. You know, I'm not even talking about acts of violence. It's the emotional terrorism that comes from that limited mindset. I don't think you even need to be a bleeding heart liberal, whatever the fuck that means. You know? Yeah. It's like why why don't we just try to be people? Right. Right. How come we can't just say, is this act, how is this act going to benefit me? How is this act going to benefit the world? Is it more beneficial or is it more detrimental? Yes. Yes, 100 times yes. I mean. And, you know, and let's let's bring it full circle around to, to, (laughs) this is a theater podcast. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's a theater because we are theater. Right. Uh, I think that's something that is hitting all of us really hard right now in in the theater world is realizing that we have to change where we're actually allowing people who have lived experiences tell their stories. Right. That's And that's where we're seeing that mindset in our own culture and our industry is the audacity to say there's a right way and there's a wrong way to tell a story. Or... There's only one way to find success. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, oh, what the fuck is success? You right. know, like, what would you, what do you quantify as success? And I think the reason the the Broadway shutdown has hit everyone so hard is this thing that has always been this torch, this like hero and Leander, like mythology of like, you know, as long as that, you know, fire is burning, we could swim to it and find it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's out. So the fragility of everything everyone considered to be the pinnacle of success is actually out. Right. That torch is out. So in a lot of ways, well, then who are we? Well, then if the goal is shut down, who am I? Were you defining no. yourself by the goal? That's- but, but that's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah. I, I definitely let go of that shit a long time ago. And I figured yeah. if I ever end up there, I'm like, I would be thrilled. I'm saying. Of course. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'd be like, this is fucking great. You know, like, because that's the little dream. It's like any actor 
if you end up, you know, in that belly of the beast of Hollywood, you're not going to complain. You're going to be like, oh shit, I'm on a big screen. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to, you're, you're definitely going to be cool with it. Right. Or a big, and these days, let's be real. Like you end up on, you know, a, a network series or Netflix or something, right. Mm-hmm. You're going to be thrilled. Right. But I, I think what's been interesting for us in the arts, we always had this finite thing of like, this is success on a certain level, even if it's subconscious, right? And now that's gone. So then who are we as artists? So what is the next phase? Like, what am I doing next? How do I pivot? How do I pivot? And also, how do we reframe success in our craft? Yeah, I mean... I think if you were always doing this for the love of it and we're always doing this just to, just to share stories and tell stories, then it, it may have affected us less psychologically. And I'm not talking about financially because that's yeah. definitely been a different, the hard mm-hmm. for everybody, everybody, everybody across the board. Um, but if you were defining yourself as I am... My my sole goal and who I am is a chorus person that must perform on Broadway, or else I'm I'm le- I'm a less human than I expect myself to be, or something like that. That's yeah. that's when it gets, um, you know. Now is a good time for introspection. Now is a good time to really, really, really dig deep and say that was a superficial goal. What's the actual goal? Yes. What is the actual goal? And I don't know if legacy is the word. But what am I trying to put out in the world? Yeah. And does everyone even have to like it? Like, obviously, and like, especially right now, because like selling tickets is sort of a relative thing, isn't it? I have my remote interactive installation, which let's talk about like what that is. And we've been talking about like, this isn't theater and we have to embrace that it's not theater. Mm -hmm. And the reason we called it that wasn't to be quirky because when we were working on it, I'm like, well, this isn't that. And it's, you know, it's a remote thing. And, and then when we, when we finally did it, I was like, started working on it. I'm like, this is like an installation piece almost yeah. mm-hmm. that you could experience in your home. And sure. We're selling tickets to it because hello, life isn't fucking free. And it's, you right. know, but it's like, even then I'm kind of like, I can't gauge the way this sells the way I used to look at my live experiences. And that's kind of been hard to breathe in as well. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that the way we're going to gauge what things are is that we've, we've, you know, to get to a point where we're going to have to get together and just make art for the sake of art on a certain level. Exactly. And then see the spaghetti gets thrown against the wall and sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't, you know? Right. But I think one of the things we have to do is art. I, I mean, actually, I don't want to tell anyone, but what I'm doing is I've had to grieve what I used to know. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, this is the new gig. Right. This is the new medium. And whatever that medium is, then let's not apologize for it. Let's just do it. You have to embrace it. Embrace it. And also, like, it isn't theater. It's okay. (laughs) That's going to piss people off. Are we theatrical? Is it from a theater sensibility? Yeah. But it's not theater in that sense. Right. And maybe one day we'll learn how to turn it into that. But, like, it's something else. And the truth is, that's okay. I it's think okay. being an artist is largely about being curious about the world. And so the, and the world is constantly changing. We know this. Yeah. So, so long as we are remaining curious, 
the actual medium isn't as relevant as we may have thought that it was. Like, yeah. Yes, there's a learning curve. Like, yeah, oh God, now I have to learn how to use iMovie or whatever technology. technology. And, yeah. and so let's embrace it. Let's say, let's embrace that. And should there have ever been a difference between our self as a person and ourself as an artist? Because how you were, how you are living when you go to the bodega should be the same as how you are living when you're creating a piece of art to me. Yes. Yes. One million fucking percent. Yes. Because ultimately we are who we are when no one's looking. Yeah. <laughs> True. So, you know, there. <laughs> well, I don't know how you feel, Rona, but I, I mean, I think we really, that was a, that was a, that was a fruitcake slice of an episode so far. <laughs> Very dense. So dense. Lo- lots so of nuts chewy. and fruit and like dried things with yes. like, like in there. Lots to, you ever notice like the, when you get the, like the, they show the weight of the, I always, yes. I, I, I don't know about you, I actually like fruitcake. Um, but so this was a very dense episode, but I'm really glad that we got into that. And thank you so much for bringing that to my attention um, and, and starting that comparison. And, and while it, it was definitely, you know, an intense conversation. I think these are the things you have to start thinking about. You know, we're, we're about to go into, in three and a half weeks, we're going to know what the fuck is going on next. And I think as artists, um, it's, why not? Let's just, actually, as artists, we simply have to start thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, 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 you know, you like to do things that are funny I like to do things that are allegorical and like mythology, you know, one day I'll do a farce. Um, but at the end of the day, we've got to really think about what our intentions are with the work. Yeah. Moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and listen, it'll come back. Broadway will be back. Yeah. It'll come back. Of it'll course be back. it will. Of course it it'll will. It'll come back. And listen, I'm probably going to go to the most, I'm like, I just, I just need pure entertainment. Yep. Which is okay. Okay. And I'm sure I will cry when i go to my first show oh my gosh everyone is right yeah but you know it's like right and i'll kind of end on this so remember broadway shut down for just a few days during 9 11 and then it reopened up and i was working down at tribeca grand so we were in the destruction zone and um it was awful broadway opened up and i i was living on in the 50s and i immediately just got a seat and went to 42nd street that mm. revival that mm. storied revival that was off the hook and there was like, you know, that big ass house where Harry Potter is now. Uh, was, you know, there was probably a few hundred of us, but you know, for that space, that's like two oh my people. Gosh, it's like nothing. Yeah. So they remember the house management had us all moved down to the orchestra. So we're mm-hmm. all like, dick, dick, dick. <laughs> and to be honest with you, everyone was in a daze. Like, you know, it wasn't like everyone was like, oh, nothing's happening in the world because, you know, everything was, you know, the, the fire was still happening. Yeah. And so we showed up. And they came out and did a curtain speech and said, thank you so much for being here, blah, blah, blah. We just hope that we can sort of like, you know, lift your spirits for a couple hours. And watching like the energy of everyone just come out there and like dance and sing for their life was so uplifting, you know? I would have been bawling my face off. It was amazing. It was such an incredibly electric experience. Wow. Which to bring it full circle around, not everything has to be serious. If you're someone who is obsessed with musical theater and musical theater comedy, 
that's also being of service to people. So much. All of that's being of service. So like, I just want to be clear as an artist, as, as my point of view, as a host on the show, is like, there's not one way to be of service to people. And, you know, I was talking about this earlier in the podcast I was being interviewed for, <laughs> is that, you know, there's many ways for you to protest and have activism. And part of that sometimes as an artist is to express joy. Joy is a form of protest. It really is. It really is. It really, really is. Because these people who are trying to oppress us actually don't want us to have any joy. Right. And to beam that fucking Care Bear stare out into <laughs> the world is a form of activism. We need catharsis in all of the emotions. All the emotions. So, all of it. And if, you, if any of them is being squelched, we can do something to draw it out of you. Yes, exactly right. From the carousel of death to tap dancing to yeah. comedy. <laughs> 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 if you want that reference, go back to episode 13. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> Rona, wow, we went the fuck off. All oh right. So, oof. Yeah. All right, everyone. So, yo, uh, we got two more <laughs> episodes this month uh, leading up to the election, and then we'll keep going in November. All right. We're going to, we're just going to keep doing this. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, we've got uh, 13 episodes before this you could listen to. And Rona had an incredible episode as the start of our October guest co-host. So please go back and support her. Uh, hit that subscribe. We'd love to hear some feedback from you guys on the iTunes. I got to say all this. We got to do some housekeeping. Until then, everyone, thank you so much for joining. Be healthy, be actionable, and most importantly, be authentic. Much love. For Fuck's Sake Podcast is brought to you by Alvarez Kiko Salazar Productions. Hosted and produced by Aaron Salazar. Original music by Manuel Valero and Giancarlo Bonfanti. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast. And on Twitter and Facebook at 4FS podcast. Thanks so much. Much love.